Thank you. You may be seated, and Reverend Bowman will come to speak to us. Well, good morning to you all. It is a great privilege to be able to be here to preach the Lord's Word for you today. I want to ask you to turn in your Bible to Joshua chapter 24. Joshua chapter 24. And our Bible reading is just going to be two verses here in the chapter. As you're turning there, I do want to thank you all for your prayers for my father-in-law. I appreciate Mr. Habegger mentioning him this morning in the opening prayers. Many of you know him. Some this morning have already asked about him. Um, He is in the Lord's providence, uh, seemingly toward the end of his days, although a year ago we were saying the same thing. So the Lord has given him another year here with us. Um, Do continue to pray for him. He's very weak, very feeble, uh, but knowing the Lord's mercies. I was telling one earlier that he, for a time, would awaken, uh, partly due to, I think, some of the medicines with a little bit of anxiety and some anxious thoughts in the middle of the night. And one in our church prayed that the Lord would give him songs in the night. And the next evening, he woke with a hymn text on his mind. And so he would jot those down. And now for several weeks and even into months now, he has been waking up thinking of various hymns. And those that will go visit him will sometimes sing those to him, at least those that are able to sing. I don't sing to him much, um, but others that go visit uh, sing to him. So he's known the Lord's goodness We appreciate your prayers and also for the family, but thank you very much for that. Joshua chapter 24, we'll begin our reading in verse number 14 and just read the two verses here, verses 14 and 15. Joshua speaking to the people, he says, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt, And serve ye the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord." Amen. We'll end the Bible reading there at the end of verse number 15. And let's seek the Lord in prayer together. Let's ask His help as we come to consider these verses today. Let's pray. Our Father, we do thank You for another opportunity in Your presence. Another opportunity with Your Word open before us. And we come today to words that are very familiar to us all. Words that... No doubt many in this congregation have put to memory, but we pray that that familiarity that we have with these words of Scripture will not be a hindrance to us today in humbling ourselves before what you have communicated to us. We pray for help in discerning your truth. We pray for your Spirit to deal with every heart here today. Uh, both in in challenge, but also in great encouragement. We thank you for the gospel truth, uh, even that we were considering in the recitation of the law, that there is forgiveness. Uh, We 
most in this room have spent the vast majority of our lives in your service. But we pray that you would take us on to higher ground. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. A child once asked his mother, Mommy, what's a New Year's resolution? And the mother responded saying, Well, honey, it's really just a to-do list for the first week of the year. For many of us, our New Year's resolutions have already come and gone. The shiny little gym membership card that you got, or uh, maybe the little key fob you have, is already collecting dust someplace, whether it's in your wallet or on your dresser. The exercise bike that you cleared off with all the best intentions to use has already turned into a clothes rack, just like it was mid-December. That diet that you started is too hard to follow, it's too restrictive, you've given up on that already, and we're, what, 15 days into the year, and you've already missed a couple days on your Bible reading. And life is hard, it's hard to keep up. We start with the best of intentions, do we not? We all have good intentions, But too often we don't carry through on those good intentions. And we think to ourselves, well, there's always tomorrow. I don't know how many times that I have thought to myself, I'll start a new diet on Monday. Well, how many Mondays have there been? I'll start a new exercise program on Monday. Fresh start, new week. Fresh start, new year. With the best of intentions but yet not to carry through. You've heard the wise words, don't put off until tomorrow what you can do today. We need a sense of urgency about us, do we not? Well, in these famous words of Joshua, he puts a choice before the people. And he puts that choice before the people of Israel with a great sense of urgency. Because he does not say to the children of Israel, think about whom you will serve. He doesn't say to them, Make plans for what decision you might make later as to who you will serve. But the urgency is in those words that we're all too familiar with. Choose you this day whom you will serve. There's a sense of urgency about that. And when Joshua put that before the people, he had already made his mind up. Joshua had made the decision already, again, the very familiar words at the end of verse number 15, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Uh, Joshua's communicating as the head of his home, the head of his house, that as far as I am concerned, the rules that I can put in place with, with my family, with my servants, with the circle of influence that I have, I'm going to do everything that's within my power to make sure that we serve the Lord. I am going to put things in place in my home to try to prevent those that are under my authority from going astray. But Joshua wasn't naive. He knew that many would not make that same choice that he had made because he put it before the people, choose you whom you're going to serve. Sadly, some will choose idols, as many of the children of Israel did. Sadly, many will not choose the Lord. But Joshua had 
declared his choice up front. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Some of you have that plaque hanging on your wall. If you don't have it, you can stop by Hobby Lobby tomorrow, and chances are you can find yourself one, and you too can put it on your wall. But is that all it is? Is that why God put that in the Bible for Hobby Lobby to make some money on a fancy plaque to hang in your bathroom? I don't think so. And you know, it's not. New Year's resolutions, regardless, I want us to look at Joshua's words and consider them for ourselves today. And I want to preach to you this morning on the subject of fresh choices for a new year. If you're taking notes, you could probably just leave out the new year part, but fresh choices, fresh choices for a new year. And I want you to see, first of all, from these verses that you have a choice to make. You have a choice to make. I think too often in our preaching, and maybe those of us in reform circles are more guilty of it, maybe those of us that would call ourselves Calvinists are more guilty of it, those that would emphasize the the sovereignty and the providence of God are more guilty of it, but I think we sometimes fall into a subtle form of fatalism. And we're afraid to talk about choices. We're afraid to talk about personal responsibility, lest someone think we're an Arminian. But a wise man once said, Calvinism is not fatalism, because fatalism is paganism. And we're not pagans. We're not fatalists. The extreme of this would be really to to have no remorse for sin, I say that's an extreme view, to have no remorse for sin because the thinking is that everything that happens is God's will anyway. And so even if I sin, then this was all part of God's plan. Now, we would never talk that way. We, we would answer a question like that correctly on a theology test. We know better than to think that way. But even if it's just subtle, that kind of thinking can be pervasive in our, our mind. But we can't get away from the fact that in these verses, Joshua is calling the people to make a very clear and definite choice. To make a very clear and definite choice. He's calling on the people to renew their covenant with the Lord. If you were to back out of verse 14 and 15, and we'll be looking at the rest of the chapter in a few moments as we go along this morning, but you'll find that the entire chapter is really a covenant format. It is a traditional Old Testament covenant format. There's a preamble to that covenant. There is a historical overview in the the covenant language. There is the the terms of the covenant, serve the Lord, fear the Lord, serve the Lord. There is the ratification of that covenant. We're going to see later that the people say, we will serve the Lord. And then you'll see that there are witnesses to that covenant. All the parts of of an Old Testament covenant system is there in this entire chapter. In many ways, Joshua chapter 24 is just a very shortened and truncated version of the entire book of Deuteronomy. It's a, a covenant to serve the Lord. 
And the thing is, these people had been called to the terms of this covenant over and over again. Moses, in the book of Deuteronomy, called the people to to make this exact same choice. Now, he didn't put it all necessarily in the exact same language, but he basically called the people to the same thing. To a covenant faithfulness to Jehovah, the God of heaven. And the people had said, sure, we're going to serve the Lord. And now they've gone into Canaan, they've gone through Jericho and all the cities, and and they're basically at the end of the conquest of the land of Canaan. And Joshua, now coming to the end of his days, is putting this same thing back to the people. Serve the Lord. Are you going to serve the Lord or not? And he calls them to make this definite choice. But let's look back at verse 15 at the language a little bit more closely. Joshua put it to them that they're... The choice falls down really to to three things. Two, really, but three, he puts it here. Here are your options. You serve the Lord. That's option number one. Or you've got two bad options. You can serve the ancient God of your forefathers, the old idols. Or you can choose to serve the new idols that you've learned about recently, whether recently in Egypt or uh, those of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. And Joshua recognizes the fact that not all of them are going to make the choice to serve the Lord. Because for some of them, it's going to seem evil to them to make that choice to serve the Lord. It's not nearly as convenient to serve the Lord as it would be to serve these idols. And so Joshua recognizes that fact. But we can't get away from the fact that the choice was theirs to make. The choice was Joshua's to make, and Joshua made his choice. And we can't get away from the fact this morning that the choice is yours to make. You choose today whom you will serve. You have to make that choice. There's a lot of young people here. There's a lot of children here today. And maybe even some of you adults would think the same kind of thing. Well, I don't want to make a choice. I know Joshua said, and I know I read in my Bible here, choose you this day whom you will serve, but I want to wait. I want to weigh my options. And I understand this choice thing, but I want to make my choice later. Well, I would submit to you that by choosing to choose later, you have chosen. Because you see, God will have no rivals, God will allow no competition. To choose not to serve the Lord is a a choice to serve idols. To choose to wait to serve the Lord later, well, you have to serve something in the meantime. You cannot exist without serving something. And so you may choose the idol of self, not the, the idol of you know, some heathen land, you might not have some proper statue that you bow down to, but you have made your choice. And happily, we read further on in this passage, the people make a very good choice. Look at verse number 16. The people answered, and they said, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. Good choice. Verse 21, look farther down. It says, and the people said unto Joshua, nay, but we will serve the Lord. We will serve the Lord. They said they were going to do that. They were claiming to make this choice to serve God. Because you see, I think these people did have some context and some understanding of 
the background and the history. God had blessed them. There, there was no denying that. And even in Joshua's language to the people, he reminded them of how God so often had blessed his people and taken care of them. Go back to verse 5. I'm not going to read this. I'll let you scan your eyes as I summarize this for you. But in verse 5, as Joshua is recounting something of the history, he reminds them of the Lord's deliverance during all those plagues that were in Egypt. You get to verses 6 and 7, and Joshua is reminding them of the Red Sea and crossing over on the dry land and God destroying the Egyptian army behind them. Verse 8 the victory that God gave them over the Amorites. Verses 9 and 10, that whole episode with Balaam. And Balak tried to hire this false prophet to curse Israel, and God intervened and put it in Balaam that only Balaam could only speak words of blessing, and he couldn't curse Israel, and that was all God intervening there. Verse 11, they get to Jericho, and God gave them victory over Jericho. Verse 13 Joshua is reminding them that, you know, look, you're living in a land that you didn't labor for. You are, you're living in cities that you didn't build. You're, you're eating from vineyards and olive trees that you didn't plant. Look at what God has done. And these people said, well, we're going to serve the Lord. I wonder what choice you have made. I wonder if you've made that choice to serve the Lord. And you might be thinking to yourself, well, I've lived my whole life serving the Lord. I'm in full-time Christian service. Don't take this the wrong way. But you work at Bob Jones all your life and never serve the Lord. You work in a Christian school all your life and never serve the Lord. We're not talking about just being employed and getting a paycheck from a Christian organization. That's not what serving the Lord is in its fullness. Matthew Henry, commenting on this, he says, Let us resolve upon a life of serious godliness, not merely because we know no other, but because really upon search we find no better. You know, some are in Christian service because, you know, they graduate, they went got a degree in education and they teach at a Christian school and it's just how life has evolved. And they've always served the Lord. It's just the way life has taken them. And they've really never stepped back and thought to themselves, what real choices have I made? What other options are there? And have, while getting a paycheck, from serving the Lord, really in life are are a million miles away from that. Let us serve the Lord because there is no better option. There is no better way. It's not just the way that life has taken me, but I have made my choice. I will serve the Lord. But I want to move on and look at a second thing here from these verses. The second point I would put before you this morning is that your choices affect the next generation. You have a choice to make, but be careful because your choices affect the next generation. This is a solemn warning this passage is to really all of us, but especially to us as husbands 
us as fathers, us as heads of our homes, heads of our families. But it would be a solemn text as well to leaders in any position, whether in your business, uh, your supervisory role of some kind. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It's what I have jurisdiction over, what I have control over. It's a warning to us all. The previous generation had made many sinful choices. I think that's clear from the text. Look back at verse number 14. He tells them in the middle of the verse, put away the gods which your father served. What does that mean? Put away the gods which your father served. Well, I think that has to mean that they had something to put away. That means they had something that they were still holding on to that they really had never let go of. Why would he tell them to put it away if it was already gone? But it wasn't gone. There was something from the past that they were still holding on to. Put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood in, in Egypt. Now the flood there, it's not, we're not talking about Genesis 6. It's not referring to Noah's flood. Go back up to verse number 2. That word flood, um, some translations actually translate it as the Euphrates River. And really, that's what it's a reference to. But if you go back to verse number 2, we we get some context here to understand what he's talking about. Joshua said unto all the people, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers dwelt on the other side of the flood in old time, even Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nacor, and they served other gods. If you have a map in the back of your Bible, um, and you find the city of Ur, you'll find that the city of Ur is just on the banks of the Euphrates River. And this is what it's referring to. This is where Abraham was from. Abraham was from the land of Ur. And all these people that Joshua are talking to are now the descendants of Abraham. That's where it all comes from. And Abraham was an idolater. Abraham was not just some righteous man in Ur vexed by you know, all the ungodliness that was in Ur and God pulled him out of all the ungodliness. No, Abraham was an idolater himself and God saved him and, and pulled him away from Ur and brought him to that promised land and and gave him a promise that his descendants one day would live in this land. But Abraham was an idolater, and it seems as if he never really got rid of all that because his children picked it up too. And it goes on down the line. I'll give you another illustration. You remember in Genesis chapter 31, uh, Jacob Uh, goes to get a wife. There's Leah and Rachel. And when he finally leaves Laban in Genesis 31, Rachel steals her father's idols, Laban's idols. And they get on down the road a little ways, and Laban realizes that his idols have been stolen, and he goes and chases after them and wants to know, where are my idols? Somebody's taken my idols. And Jacob says, I don't know what you're talking about. And so Laban goes searching the tents, comes into Rachel's tent, and Rachel is sitting on them. And she plays the, I'm unclean card, pardon me, I'm sorry, I can't stand up, I'm unclean, and hides them, lies about them. She loved those idols so much that she was willing to steal them from her father when she left. And she held on to those. 
to the point of lying about those. Other examples, perhaps, but uh, 400 years later, well, more than that, but 400 years in Egypt, the children of Israel are there. In Goshen, they leave. They're across the Red Sea. Moses is on top of the mount getting the Ten Commandments. The people are wondering, where in the world is this man? He's gone. We don't know what's happened to him. And Aaron says, I've got an idea. And he makes a golden calf. Well, where did he get that idea? But from the gods in Egypt. This is what he saw. This is what they lived among the whole time they were in Egypt. And so Joshua is saying, you have to put these things away. You've got to destroy these things. You've got to get rid of these things. If we dig deeper into the context, we come to realize that by the time we get to this place in Israel's history, this is after the 40 years of wilderness wandering. The 40 years of wilderness wandering is finished at Joshua chapter 1. And they've gone through the land of Canaan and Jericho and Ai and city and city and city and and they've substantively cleared out the land. And I mention that 40 years because you remember at Kadesh Barnea, the 12 spies were sent in and they came back, 10 of them with an evil report and it was just Joshua and Caleb that said, no, God will give us the victory. And you remember God gave a punishment on all of the people for their lack of faith. And that punishment, you are well aware of, is that entire generation was to pass away. That entire generation was to die in the wilderness. And it was Joshua and Caleb and, you know, some younger folks, whatever, but that lived through that. And so these people now are the inheritors of their parents' gods. These things had never been put away. Kind of reading between the lines here, I don't, I don't mean to have too vivid of an imagination, but I think you can understand what I'm talking about. You know, when the children of Israel went through the wilderness, they set up camp, they, they packed everything up, they moved to another place and packed up and moved to another place, and, and on and on this went for 40 years. And, and these things are in a box someplace. These things are in a, a camel bag. Right? They, they're, they're lugging these idols through the wilderness for 40 years. And Joshua is saying, you've got to get rid of these things. That previous generation had taught their children the ways of idolatry. Through the promises to serve the Lord all the way and you know, everything else. But generation after generation after generation, these idols had been with them. And Joshua is saying, enough's enough. You've got to put these things, they have to go. These idols have to go. Now, some of you in this room have been to my home, even in North Carolina. And I guess you've not been in every room of my home. But the rooms you have been in, you've noticed we don't have any statues at our house. I don't think my children have any hidden under their bed. I don't think. But I think you know well enough that we're not talking about little carved images. We're not talking about Buddha here. We're not talking about crucifixes. We're not talking about statues of the Virgin Mary. That's not what's in view here. I was talking about this to someone actually just this morning, Lydia's 
uncle where we were staying uh, last night. And he said, well, what is your definition of an idol? And he said, I've always thought of an idol of, you know, some little carved thing that you buy at some shop. I said, well, no, the Bible's quite clear that it's more than that. Galatians tells us that covetousness is idolatry. Covetousness is idolatry. And so, could it be your job? Could it be sports? Could it be your family? Be a whole host of things that take that place of where God belongs. You see, the decisions we make as parents, as leaders, people watch. And those choices affect a whole nother generation. Some of you might know the name Vody Bacham. He's a preacher of some renown now, but he wrote a book, What He Must Be to Date My Daughter. And he gives his testimony in that book, and the, the testimony's quite illustrative here. He grew up in a very broken home. He really had no father figure in his home. And he said growing up as a child in school, all my buddies in school also came from broken homes. And they really didn't have a father figure present either. And now, as I'm an adult, the Lord saved me out of that. He has a very stable home, you know, from what everybody knows. But he says, now my cousins, we get together for family things, and I've got cousins that are on their second and third marriage. I've got nieces and nephews that, you know, trouble with the law. You know, crazy stuff. But it was that generation that he grew up with, and that's all he knew. And that's, that's how so many in his family turned out without the Lord. The excuses that you make that keep you from the Lord will be the same excuses your children make that keep them from the Lord, though they will carry it a step further. It's that generational decay, generational decay. I know, I know of, of one testimony of someone who was saved as a result of the prayer meeting. They were a child. They were in the prayer meeting and they were hearing others pray in the prayer meeting. And the Lord used that to convict them of their need of Christ. And now grown and married with children. And basically never attends a prayer meeting. And I thought to myself, I wonder if their children would ever have that same testimony as their mother. Just wonder. Just a thought. We sing the hymn, we sang 471 across the page is another favorite. And we sing words that just flow off the tongue. The dearest idol I have known, whate'er that idol be, help me to pluck it from thy throne and worship only thee. So poetic. It just comes off so easy. But do we really mean 
a word of that. I've often, while I've been singing that hymn, not necessarily stopped singing, but I thought, what in the world am I saying? Do I mean any of that? Don't we just sing these hymns, we just say these words? Right? Higher ground, right? Though some may, you know, some may dwell where sin abounds, my prayer, my aim is higher ground. That sounds awesome, does it not? But do we really mean any of that? But the choices we make affect more than just ourselves. The choices you make affect more than just you. They affect everybody around you. Now, lest you misunderstand what I'm saying and what I mean, and to be careful not to overemphasize a particular point, I want to remind you of Ezekiel. You're not responsible for the previous generation's sins. Your sins are not your daddy's fault. Your sins are your fault. Ezekiel had to deal with that. Because Ezekiel was preaching that the Lord is going to judge. The Lord is going to bring judgment and punishment for sins. And the mantra uh, of, of Ezekiel's people was, our fathers ate the sour grapes and our teeth are set on edge. And they said it over and over. Our, our fathers ate the sour grapes and our teeth are set on edge. And what they meant by that was our fathers sinned and we're getting punished for it. But what was Ezekiel's response? Ezekiel's response was no. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. Ezekiel was in essence saying, no, you're guilty of the same things. God is not punishing you because your dad sinned. He's punishing you because you are sinning. You may be doing the same thing, but you're being punished for your sins. We're not responsible for our parents' sins. To look at it from the other direction as well, we as parents are not responsible for our children's sins. You can have, you, you, let me back up and say it this way. You can be perfect parents. You, you understand what I mean by perfect, but you, you can be great godly parents, pray for your children every day, Bible time, the whole business, and end up with children away from the Lord. And you can be a negligent parent and, and, and not faithful, and the Lord rescue your children and, and they serve the Lord and end up being faithful in their generation. Right. When I was in this church in, in my seminary days, uh, it was prayed often, and we pray it in our church, may our children be better in their generation than we were in ours. We want that. It's one of the things I've always appreciated about the Free Presbyterian Church is we are very much against the idea of presumptive regeneration. Many Reformed churches have, have gone down because they've fallen into that error of presumptive regeneration. They just assume that their children have just kind of just absorbed Jesus and are fine. We don't believe that. Choose you this day whom you will serve. 
There must be a, a moment. There must be a, a time where there is a decision to serve the Lord. I will follow Jesus. So you have a choice to make. And the choice you make affects more than just yourself. It affects the next generation as well. It affects all those around you. And so that leads me to the last thing for this morning. And that is simply choose wisely. Choose wisely. I'm often amazed at God's providence in ordering the Lord's Day. Uh, Mr. Farr had no earthly idea what this message was about other than if he saw the bulletin and the the text printed in the bulletin. Um, But he's on chapter 22 of the confession. And you did chapter 22 last week, so you didn't do anything special today for this message. But chapter 22 of the confession, if you were here for the adult Sunday school class, is on oaths and vows. And how God takes very seriously an oath. God takes very seriously a vow to him. And this is the context of what Joshua is putting before the people. He's putting before them this vow. And so we've already read verses 14 and 15. Choose you this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house will serve the Lord. Verse 16, the people answered. So follow along with me here. God forbid that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. Verse 17, for the Lord our God, he it is that brought us, brought us up and our fathers out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. And which did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way wherein we went and among all the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out from before us all the people, even the Amorites which dwelt in the land. Therefore will we also serve the Lord, for he is our God. Great response. Be it, look at verse 19. Look at Joshua's response. And Joshua said unto the people, Ye cannot serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve strange gods, then he will turn and do you hurt and consume you after that he hath done you good. Now what is going on here? Joshua had just said, look, fear the Lord, serve the Lord, make your choice. Who are you going to serve? And the people said, well, we're going to serve the Lord. And Joshua says, no, you can't do it. He's a holy and a jealous God, and he's not going to forgive you. Well, what does that mean? Why would Joshua come back with that? Why is Joshua not jumping up and down with joy that his preaching finally got through to these people? Right? Joshua says, no, you can't serve the Lord. He's not going to forgive you. What does this mean? Well, it has to mean one of two things. First, it could mean you cannot serve the Lord on your own. He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. And he is not going to forgive your transgressions and your sins. If you think for a moment that on your own, in your own self-sufficiency, you can just turn over a new leaf and decide today's the day. 
I'm going to serve the Lord. God is a holy and a jealous God. And that, that sin of self-righteousness, that sin of self-sufficiency is not compatible with serving the Lord. You can't serve the Lord and be self-righteous and self-sufficient and think you can do it all on your own. God's not going to for, God doesn't forgive that. You're not, you haven't humbled yourself before him. You have not repented before the Lord. It could mean that. Or it means this. You cannot serve the Lord and continue living the way that you're living now. Because that's what the people had done so many times before. We'll serve the Lord. And it was just something they found at Hobby Lobby. It was just a plaque. It was just a cute thing on the wall. And Joshua's saying, you can't serve the Lord and continue on in the way that you're going. Because God is a holy and a jealous God, and he's not going to accept rivals. You can't serve God on Sundays and yourself the rest of the week. You can't give lip service to serving the Lord when that's convenient, and then not serve him when it's more convenient to do something else. God is not going to forgive your trespass and your iniquity of continuing on with your idols. He's not going to do that. But then you come down to verse 21, and the people seem even the more adamant. And the people said unto Joshua, Nay, but we will serve the Lord. So they seem so adamant, do they not? And then Joshua continues the full pattern of of the covenant, this oath that they had made with God. And he called for witnesses, verse 22, And Joshua said unto the people, You are witnesses against yourselves, that you have chosen you, the Lord, to serve him. And they said, We're witnesses. Now therefore put away, said he, the strange gods which are among you, and incline your heart unto the Lord God of Israel. And the people said unto Joshua, The Lord our God will we serve, and his voice will we obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and set them a statute and an ordinance in Shechem. You go on down to verse 27, and he sets up a memorial stone to remind them. You made an oath that you would serve the Lord. You promised. So, you come down a little bit to verse number 31. And we read what seems to be a very happy ending to the book of Joshua. And Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua. And all the days of the elders which overlived Joshua. So this would have been Caleb would have been one of them. And which had known all the works of the Lord that he had done for Israel. Now I want you to take one page in your Bible. Just turn one page. Only one page. And now you're in the book of Judges. For some of you, that gets you to Judges 2. In my Bible, I have to turn two pages. So maybe you'll have to turn two. Judges 2. Verse 7 is a repetition of what we just read in Joshua 24, 31. Judges 2 and verse 7. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord 
that he did for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old. And they buried him in the borders of his inheritance in Temnathres, in the Mount of Ephraim, on the north side of the hill Gaash. And also all that generation were gathered unto their fathers. And there arose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam. One generation. One generation. After all that promising, after all that vowing, after all that with Joshua, we're going to serve the Lord. I tell you, choose wisely. Because God takes vows very seriously. And these people, they said they had made their choice. They went down to Hobby Lobby and bought their plaque and everything. But I have to ask myself the question, how did this happen? How did this happen? How is it that in one generation... It says in verse 7 of Judges 2, all these who had seen all the great works which the Lord had done in Israel, they they served the Lord, at least outwardly it seems. But what about their children? Did they not teach their children? Because it says there arose a generation that knew not the Lord nor the works which he had done for Israel. How did they not know? Why did their parents not tell them? What happened? Where was the disconnect? Seems odd, does it not? I, I don't know what to conclusion to come to other than to say that these parents did not teach their children these things. Or if they did, their children made choices after idolatry and didn't follow their parents' God. Or maybe that that was supposed to have been put away was like a New Year's resolution. It was put away for a little bit, but not destroyed. Because the demands of work, the playoffs, the sports teams, Everything comes back for attention. And and that subtle shift of God first turns into God second and third and and degeneration and decay. A hard passage from that perspective, is it not? A very convicting passage from that perspective because have we not all done the same thing? I remember when I was a little boy. I say little boy, teenager. When I was a teenager. I was saved when I was seven. But I remember over and over and over again praying this prayer that you've prayed. Many of you have prayed the same prayer. Lord, if I didn't mean it, 
I mean it this time. You've prayed that. Right? If I didn't mean it, I really mean it this time. I really mean it this time. And that consternation of soul, have I done enough? Did I choose enough? Am I faithful enough? And the answer to that question is really quite simple. Of course not. You've not chosen enough. You're not faithful enough. You're not good enough. You're not anything enough. And if you think you're enough, well, then you're an idolater. If you think you're enough. And you've never put away the other gods. And so that kind of carries us back to option one of what did Joshua mean when he says you cannot serve the Lord. That self-sufficiency. That thinking that if I'm going to be faithful, I've got to grip my teeth and I've got to be so good and I've got to do so much better. It's all about me. When that's not the gospel. The gospel is you're not good enough. The gospel is you'll never be good enough. But the gospel is Jesus Christ has finished the work. Jesus Christ was good enough. And that even sounds wrong to say. He wasn't good enough like he barely... He fulfilled all righteousness. He perfectly obeyed every single jot and tittle of the law of God. He earned a perfect righteousness. He rendered perfect obedience to all that God commanded. And he did that on your behalf. And when you let go of trying to be good enough and say, Lord, I'm not good enough. I know I'm not good enough. I know I'll never be good enough. But I cast myself entirely upon you. I choose to serve you. I can't do it on my own. Help me. Lord, save me. Lord, forgive me for my sins. I come to you naked and open with no abilities in myself. Only you. Then you have chosen this day whom you will serve. You serve the Lord. May the Lord give us the same resolve. What Joshua says here is really not different than what we read other places in Scripture. Christ, when he was speaking, he said, No man can serve two masters. He'll either hate the one and love the other, or else he'll hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now, Jesus didn't say the exact words that Joshua said, but same thing. Paul put it another way. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you would present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto the Lord, which is your reasonable service. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. They didn't say the same thing, but they said the same thing. They were calling on those to come and serve God faithfully, wholeheartedly, with no reserves and no regrets. And so may Joshua's resolve be yours and may it be mine, that we can say, as for me and my house, we will serve 
the Lord. Amen. Let's close in prayer. Father, we come to the end of this service and we come acknowledging our sin. We come acknowledging the fact that we have before in truth and sincerity uh, said that we want to serve you. And we've fallen so many times. Our good intentions that we set out with have lasted for such a short time. But we thank you for gospel truth today. We thank you that you have said in your word that though we fall, we shall not be utterly cast down. We thank you that you've told us that you know our frame. You know that we are but dust. You know the frailty of human flesh. You know our sinfulness. And we thank you that there is forgiveness when we confess our sins. You're faithful and you're just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But we pray that today we would take up this challenge afresh. And we would, as Joshua had made that resolve, that as for me and whatever circumstances I can control, I'm going to serve the Lord. We pray that you'll work in every heart. We pray for those outside of Christ that have never made any choice for Christ, that today they would choose to follow him. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.